So let's dive into holiness. I'm going to try to get a lot done and not much time. Holiness, we started last week. So if I go a little fast at first, download it off the website, icoth.com. Put it on your iPod, listen, you can stream it live or stream it right there from the website if you like, even on your phone. But holiness, that's what we were even singing about tonight, holy, holy, holy. And it's a unique attribute of God. You know, God has a lot of different characteristics. Many of them we completely understand. We understand wisdom. We understand power. We understand love. At least in our finite minds we can understand those because we can see that in one another. But holiness is a whole nother thing. Holiness is a whole nother thing because there is no parallel in the natural. It's unique. I told you last week, John Wesley defined holiness as perfect love. But I want to add a little bit to that, that it is God's righteousness and God's love. But we're going to see in Scripture that it is supposed to be a characteristic of God's people. God's Word tells us that holiness, we as Christians, are supposed to, that's supposed to be a part of our character. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. This is still review. I'm going to try to go quickly. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." God, in his word, tells us he wants us to partake of his holiness. And the way he, the, one of the ways that he starts to do that is by bringing correction in our life. Why? Because we need to be cleaned up. In order to come into the presence of the Lord, in order for us to come from an unholy place into God's holiness, we've got to let him change us. And I have heard this week about people saying, you know what, I got it all together. I've got everything worked out. I just need to kind of help others. Wrong. Wrong. All of a sudden, we've gotten our blinders on and we think we don't need help anymore. Well, I will be the first to say, I need help. I make mistakes so much, it's, it's comical. It's painful how much help I need. How dependent I should be and should continue to be on God. And not just on God, but on God's people. We're not supposed to do this alone. We're supposed to have help. We're supposed to allow others to help us and to speak into us and to correct us. Everybody say correct us. You know how God brings correction to you sometimes? Through the person sitting next to you. Oh. It hurts. We don't want to receive it. We want to shut down. You know, one of the most childish things, and I have done this. In fact, I probably do this regularly, is when somebody criticizes me, what do we do? We criticize them. You got something on your face. Well, you got something on your face. Well, you've got a problem with this. Well, you've got a problem with this. And you know, someone that can't receive correction, Scripture says, is a fool. That one hits me hard because I'm supposed to be able to receive correction. Why do I need correction? So that I can partake of his holiness. Verse 14 continues on and says, Pursue peace with all people. 
and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. We are to pursue peace. Have you ever seen a police car in hot pursuit? That is supposed to be us after peace, not after retaliation, not after vindication, not after having to be right, not after getting my word in so that you know where I stand. No, I am supposed to pursue not my right. I'm supposed to pursue peace. We're going to be seeing on Sunday mornings, blessed are the peacemakers. We are to pursue peace. And what else do we pursue? Holiness. Without which no one, if you don't have these two, peace and holiness, you will not see the Lord. How many of you want to see the Lord? Do you really? Well, let me tell you, put your money where your mouth is. I don't mean, I'm not talking about offering. I'm talking about walk it out. Pursue peace. Pursue holiness. You will see the Lord. Amen. That's a good word for somebody. Got to pursue holiness. It's supposed to be an objective. Second, in order to, pers- to, to achieve holiness, we've got to pursue peace. Not with the people we like. Not just them. All people. We are to attempt to live peaceably, not quarreling or disagreement that is within our power to avoid. Let me tell you, most of my wars I could have avoided. I had it in me to avoid them, but I also had it in me to bust them wide open. Any of you go looking for a fight? Man, I left, when I don't eat, I get grumpy. I didn't really know this about myself until my wife told me that that's what I did. And what do I do? Well, you get grumpy when you do this. You know, that's just how we do. She criticizes me. I criticize you. You get grumpy when you wake up and you haven't had your cup of coffee yet in the morning. So anyway, isn't that, a good, isn't that good? Somebody criticize you, you criticize them, you know. But I, was, I, could, I recognized I was just upset, grumpy. And literally, I was walking around looking for a fight. Who wants to fight with me right now? I'm ready. Somebody just come show up because I am ready to war with somebody. I don't care what it is. That's the opposite of what we're talking about. You know, in our flesh, sometimes we want to be right. We want to go after standing up for ourselves. God says, nope, that's when I want you to pursue peace and pursue holiness. It's a real word I've been having for the last three weeks of seek righteousness, even when you've not ate. That's when I get the grumpiest. That's when you got to seek it. It's easy to seek righteousness when, you've, when, you've, when you're in church. When you're worshiping God, you want to do everything right. It's when you get home and get out on the road that all of a sudden all these demons come back on you again. God says, you can do it in the, in the sanctuary, but why can't you do it on out? I have empowered you to conquer those things that are coming at you, but you're letting them have dominion over your life. You know what that means? Dominion, control, ownership. They're driving the ship, not you. That's the opposite of holiness. Now, I've gotten way off track. You remember what I said last week? We started looking at the agents of sanctification. Uh, as I broke down last week, we started looking at holy, holiness and sanctification. were one and the same, setting apart. We have been chosen by God to be set apart for him. 
to partake of his holiness. Now, in this process of sanctification, of pursuing holiness, we've got to see what part we play and what part God plays. And I started listing five agents of sanctification. Number one was the Holy Spirit. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by what? By the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now, in every redemptive process, in everything that God has done for us, God has initiated it. We don't have to wait for God to make the first step toward us. He already has. He's not just made the first step. He's done it all. He has paid the price. He has, he has given up what we should have given up so that we could partake of him, so that we could be an heir of Christ, so that we could be a child of God. It has been done. He's even gone so far to give us the instruction of how to walk it out. Instead, we don't want to walk it out. We don't want to do any of those things, but then we hit the bottom when we're like, God, where were you? Why'd you do that to me? I didn't do that to you. Look, this, is, this is what I did to you. I paid every price for you. But as you walk, you completely ignore everything I've said to do. Yet you get yourself in a mess and you blame me. Wrong. Don't blame him. Seek him. Hot pursuit. Turn the woo, woo, woo. I'm after God. Anybody here after God? Get after him. Have you ever seen a dog get after a bone? Get after him. I think that's a good picture. That dog will fight you for that bone. What was number two? Anybody remember? Thank you. The Word. In Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, we find the second agent of sanctification. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Gave himself for who? The church. That he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word. What does the washing? The Word. The Word, the Holy Spirit renews our mind and He does it, we just saw in the previous scripture, through truth. What is truth? Truth is the Word. However, the Word that uh, would be appropriate to describe the way in which the Holy Spirit uh, renews our mind, washing them clean with the pure water of God's Word. Now, I just made that very quick. I went way into detail last week. Number three. Number three, if you remember, number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Word. Number three, the third agent of sanctification is faith. Now, do you remember what we're after? I I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. Don't check out on me and say, man, that was good teaching. No, what we're after is, is holiness. We're after sanctification. How do we partake of His holiness? That's what I'm trying to give you here is I'm trying to give us some steps of knowing how to walk out tomorrow. The Holy Spirit, the Word, and now faith. Here in Paul's Paul's great commission in Acts 26, from Jesus as he's being sent to the Gentiles. Let's look at that. It says, To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
That's a capital me in Christ. I want to read that again. Look at, look at what's trying to happen here. Look at, look at why we are needing the Word, why we are needing the Holy Spirit, why we are needing faith to open our eyes, to bring us from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that we might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. An indispensable element in being sanctified is our faith. It's our belief. Another way to say it is it's our confidence. I was walking around. This is going to sound so funny. I don't know if it'll sound funny or not. I was walking up Phillips Cemetery. I, I, I walk all these uh, I, I now read my Bible and walk all back in here, just praying over the community, and it's just good. I look for deer. Um, I just, it's just a great moment for me. And I'm walking up Phillip Cemetery, coming back to the church, and I'm just praying over every bad thing going on. Lord, this is bad. I, I, this is bad. I need help right here. Lord, I need help right here. And Man, this is bad. I don't know how you're going to do this. And you know what the Lord said? Where's your confidence in me? Let me have it. Let me have it. You keep walking. You're going to still walk through these storms, but you're not trusting me. You know what? That's what I needed. I don't need to waste my time worrying about everything I'm doing. Worry is the opposite of faith. Okay, God, you can have it. You can have it. It's still there. I've still got to walk through it. But Lord, right now is my moment to seek after you. I give you that. You go work that out. Every time, every, uh, Justin Grant remembered, uh, who is, who is uh, our youth director, Justin Grant remembered me saying to him at Express Lube, we used to have to, we would accidentally lock cars up in the, in the lube or in the car wash, and when you lock a car up in the car wash, cars can't go through. It, it stops the whole lifeblood of the business. And we've got to get in those cars quickly. And customers don't like us using bricks to get in their cars. So we got to get in their cars effectively. So we've got the jimmy set to, to get into it. And every time I did not pray, I messed it up. I'd drop the tool in the door. I'd break something. It, it would be a disaster. We'd have a car sitting there for an hour. But every single time I prayed, I went right into the car. Now, you can say it's coincidence, whatever. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe that when I recognize, God, I can't do this without you. I'm going to mess this up if I do it on my own. Lord, I know how to do it. I've been trained how to do it. But even in my training, I mess it up. Lord, I just give you this car in this situation. Help me. Help me get in here. Get it on through. Customer doesn't even know what's going on. It took us a moment. But when I didn't, when I didn't, I messed it up. And that's the way my life's been. How about you? When you do it on your own, Things don't go so well. But every time I have sought the Lord, every time I have trusted Him to be my guide, He has guided me correctly. Uh, our faith enables us to receive what God offers through these agents. Now, I'm going to tie this together. I want you to catch how this works. The process of sanctification will only be as effective as our faith will allow it. Your walk with Christ will only go as far as your faith will go. Now, he saved you. But when you start to face a mountain, God will say, where's your faith? 
All it takes is the faith of a mustard seed. And I heard somebody just say over the last two weeks, it's just enough faith to take on that next step that you've got. That's all I need. I don't need all the faith for every decision I've got the rest of my life. I need enough faith for my decision now. What does that sound like? God says, walk in the light that you have now. Walk in the light as he walks in the light. You're walking in this little bitty light while he walks in all light. But we're walking together. Do you see that? When I'm walking in the light, he's the light. I'm walking in his light that he has provided for me. That's all I got to do. And you know, when I take a step knowing that light's there, what you know what that is? That's faith. Faith is an action. When I walk according to what God has shown me, what little I might think he has shown me, walk in that. How does this tie together the word of God and our faith? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to get your faith up? Get in the word. Get in the word. As we give more heed to God's word, our faith expands, enabling us to appropriate the total provision God has made for our holiness. Can you see that when we get in the word and our faith increases and we start to walk in that faith, we take one more step closer to his holiness. We start to partake in his holiness. Number four. I think you can probably see a pattern. Holy Spirit, the Word, faith, the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 13, 12. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Jesus shed his blood for many purposes. One was to redeem us. Another one was to sanctify us or set us apart to God and make us holy. It is possible to live in a place where sin and Satan cannot touch us because we are protected and sanctified by the blood of Jesus. That is a reality that we can live in now. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The tense used in the scripture is, if you just leave that up for me, Blake, is continuous present tense. If we continually walk in the light, we continually have fellowship, and the blood of Jesus continually keeps us clean. We are kept pure and undefiled, for we live in a different element. We do not live in the contamination and the vileness of this evil world. We are sanctified unto God, sanctified, set apart by the blood of Jesus. We might be in the world, but we are not of the world. 1 John 5.18 says, We know that wherever... Whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not uh, touch him. Now, uh, hopefully the light bulb is going to go off. I've only got just a little bit more, if you'll just hang in there with me. This is very challenging. It's pretty frightening. Does that mean that a Christian will never sin again? That a person that's been born again never sins again? Other passages of Scripture, together with our own experience, makes this unlikely. 
I know that since I've been saved at five years old, I have certainly sinned more than once. The key to understanding this verse, I believe, is to see that John here is not talking about an individual person. He is talking about a nature. It's not Brother David or Sister Mary who can't sin, but it's the new nature. When we are genuinely covered by the blood, when we are genuinely in the Word and full of the Spirit and pursuing after God, sin can't make its way into us. Have you ever been at that point that your greatest addiction, that your greatest temptation can't even get close because you are so full of God? I believe that that's what this means, is it's not individually, because individually we slip and fall and we mess up. We're not Christ. We're not perfect. But when we genuinely are pursuing after God, sin can't get in. If we would submit to God, resist the devil, he's got to flee. He has to. Can you guys see this at all? This Like an apple seed that produces an apple. Let me back up. 1 Peter 1.23 tells us that the new nature is born not of corruptible seed but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. That's this new nature. All forms in life, there is one principle that never changes. It's the nature of the seed that determines the nature of the life that comes from the seed. What do I mean? That an apple seed is going to produce an apple. It's not going to produce a grape. It's not going to produce an orange. It's going to produce an apple, so that when that incorruptible seed, that new seed, that new nature cannot sin. Do you catch that? It's the old nature that sins. The new nature can't. It's impossible. It's not a part of the new nature's DNA. It's a part of the old nature. He, that new man is incorruptible. He does not sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. John's language here is even stronger. He says not merely, he says not merely such a person does not sin, but that he cannot sin. Why? Because the incorruptible seed of God's Word abiding in him has produced a nature like the seed, incorruptible. The new man cannot be corrupted by sin. I want you to know that you may think you face something that you cannot overcome. Let me tell you, if you are not in Christ, you're right. If you are in Christ, you can But do you recognize what it means to be in Christ? If you'll walk in the light as he is in the light and fellowship with one another, then the blood of Jesus will cleanse us of our sin. Number one, you're not supposed to do it without God. You're supposed to do it with God. Number two, you're not supposed to do it alone. You're supposed to be held up by other believers. Then he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin. John, 1 John 3, 9 again says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. First John, uh, John 3, 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 1 John 5, 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. 
You put these three scriptures together, we get the who, the that, and the what. It's not an individual person that's spoken of, but a nature produced by rebirth in every believer. It does not sin. It cannot sin. Once I am born again, the course of my life take the course that my life takes depends on which nature controls me. The new man or the old man. If I'm defeated, it's not because I'm meeting a problem with my new nature. It's not because of God. The new nature is undefeatable. An old lady who had a conspicuous victory in her life was once asked how she overcame Satan. And she replied, when the devil knocks on the door, I just let Jesus answer. That's the new man, Christ in me. The old man was walking around the building, and I was praying, and I was worrying. God said, no, 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 no. New man, new seed, uncorruptible, incorruptible, led by me and all of heaven's armies, my Holy Spirit. Don't forget what my son did for you. It's done. Let me have it, and you keep walking, and quit your fussing. Quit your fussing. Anybody ever had a parent say that to you? What, what would my, what did y'all say? Belly talking? Belly, uh, what, quit your, belly aching. Whatever that means. Um, I hate to even say this, but one thing that my mom would do is backhand me. And she'd warn me, I'll backhand you. I knew what that meant. You know what she was going to do? She was going to take authority over my mouth. I don't think I ever got that. Getting authority over your mouth. And sometimes through God's word, he will, he will backhand you one. What, are you, what is coming out of your mouth? Does anybody hear what's coming out of your mouth? What does God's word say about what's coming out of your mouth? It's what's in your heart. What just came out of your mouth is in your heart. Now, you're going to take this kind of rough, and you can probably shut up for just a moment, but I don't want to just get you to shut up. I want to get your heart. Because if you will start speaking according to my word, man, we'll, we'll get some things done here. But I don't want you to just do it with your mouth. I want you to do it with your heart. And that's not enough yet. Then I want you to walk it. I want you to walk it. 1 John 15, 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. This places a responsibility of each one of us who is born again. We are required to keep ourselves. Anybody see that? God doesn't keep us, we keep ourselves. Anyone who has been born of God keeps himself. Why? Because God's given us all the authority and the power to handle what we're facing. He's done it. It's done. He's given us the instruction to run Satan off. Let me rephrase. I said God doesn't do it. He's done it. It's done. Are y'all still with me? Okay. Um, Number five, and I'll, I'll close. The fifth agent. Let's go back. Holy Spirit, Word, faith, blood of Jesus. Finally, the altar. Fifth agent of sanctification. 
is I believe it's, it's a practical key. It's the place of sanctification. In Matthew 23, 16, and 17, Jesus rebukes the teaching of the scribes. He says, woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. You know what he just is doing? He's backhanding them. Anybody hear that? Man, and there's something about a backhand because you get the knuckles. You get the bones. You don't get the soft side of the hand. You get the back side of the hand. And I just didn't even like the sound of it. It just sounded rough. You know what? But it works. Lip swells up a little bit, and you think about what you're going to say the next time. (laughs) And you know what? Nobody cares. Everybody in the car has already moved on. Not you. You're still sitting there with a swollen up lip. Telling you what, you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And ain't nothing ever hurt a little swollen up lip. Now, I've not backhanded my kid. I've done my own, I've got my own issues with my kids, but I'm just talking, I get to talk about them. Tell them, I'll tell y'all what, what they did. Let me tell you, a swelled up lip will make you think about what's coming out your mouth the next time. I'll think about that the next time. I didn't like that. Standing up in the front of a Volkswagen Bug. Well, they didn't have seat belts, didn't have car seats. We just stood up in the front seat. She could reach me anyway. She had. Anyway. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Where whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Jesus is saying that the gold is not holy in itself, it's just metal. But when it's built into God's temple, it becomes holy. The temple makes it holy. Verse uh, Matthew 23, 18 and 19 says, And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But who swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, for the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? The gift does not sanctify the altar, but the altar sanctifies the gift that's placed on it. In the Old Testament, until the sacrifice was placed on the altar, it was just the body of a beast. But when it got placed on the altar and bound to it, it became holy, set apart to take the place of what we deserved. Even in the Old Testament, uh, blood had to be shed because something had to die. Ultimately, Christ came to die one time. He did it for everyone. Before that, animals had to die in our place to atone from our sin. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I believe the only difference between the Old Testament sacrifice and the New Testament sacrifices is that our bodies stay alive when we place them on the altar. But in each case, the principle of sanctification is the same. It is the altar that sanctifies the gift that's placed on it. As we surrender our bodies to God, what goes along with that is this inner process of the sanctification of the mind. Romans 12, 2, the next verse, and that's going to be it for me. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. I've tried really hard. I know I've gone late again, but I wanted to finish tonight. Pursue holiness. Pursue peace 
we are going to be going in such a, a powerful, explosive, incredible journey on Sunday mornings. I think that this whole thing on holiness and where we're going with the Sermon on the Mount, let me tell you, you're going to have a very big opportunity. The writing is about to be in the, uh, in the sand of whether or not you're going to serve God because you're about to get the idea of what God means to be served. What it means when Christ gave his Sermon on the Mount, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that's going to be coming from the pulpit. And I believe it's, once, once we know it, we've got decisions to make. Because I can tell you, life and death, the, Scripture says life or death, you choose. As for me and my house, what are we going to do? I'm going to serve the Lord. And that means when, I rec- when, when I'm out here worrying and, letting, and complaining and God speaks to me, I'm going to listen and I'm going to respond. I'm still going to make mistakes. I'm going to repent. I'm going to pick up myself off the ground and get up and keep walking. Not go crying and whining and quitting. What are we going to do? Pursue holiness. Let's just, let's just do that tonight. I just want to pray over you tonight. To pursue peace and to pursue holiness. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I know, I can feel it right now that there are, that, that, that people here tonight could identify where there is not peace. And Lord, your word does not say, wait for the person to come and make peace. Your word says to pursue peace. Pursue peace. Now, as you're bowing your head and you're kind of identifying these people in your mind, I want you to know that their reaction is not your problem. If they don't receive it, if they don't walk in it, if they rebuke it, that's not your problem. Your problem is to pursue peace. The result is out of your hand. You can't, change, you can't soften a hard heart. You can't make somebody forgive you. You can't make them do the right thing, but what you can do is you can do the right thing. You have the power to do the right thing. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the power to do the right thing. Now I want to encourage you, go and make peace and pursue holiness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Word. We need the blood of Jesus. We need the altar. Lord, we need you. Change us, Lord. Let us be the ones who are willing to change. I thank you for your convicting and confirming word to us tonight that we have a job to do. Let us walk in it tonight. and Lord, I just pray for victory. Victory in our lives, in our marriages, in our finances, in our jobs. Victory in Jesus' name. In the new nature, we are undefeatable. Let us not walk by the old man, but walk by the new man. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hope you have a great week.